Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's argument back to the early church in Corinth about some things he had heard. Let's share in God's good word together. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to want you to listen really closely today. The point of Christianity isn't to go to heaven when you die. Cue the gasp. No, let that sink in, really. The point of Christianity is not to go to heaven when you die. It's much bigger than that. Much better than that, if you can imagine it. Or so says New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. It's important that we know what the Bible says about life after death, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, as well as what grandma said. They're both important. Yet our death, yours and mine, what happens to us when we die, it is the question that everyone in this room will have to answer and ask someday. Does any part of us, any part of our bodies go on after they give out? What happens? Is there something more? And the question, the answer to that question for more than 2,000 years from our faith has been yes, a resounding yes, of course. But exactly how that happens and when that happens, well, there's a lot of different opinions about that. And part of it is because most people haven't died and come back and told us about it, right? Not in a clear and concise linear way, at least. So we're in our last section of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, We think it's really important that you know what we believe as United Methodists and what we believe with Christians all around the world. That's why we say it each and every week at the beginning of our services. And so, uh, today, it is, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So, um, seven weeks ago, if you can remember all the way back there, week one, read these with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth. Why is that important? Because if God is father, then all humans are brothers and sisters. And when we all matter to God, every one of us. So, so that's one. Week two, read it with me. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now, think about this. Um, historian, uh, Professor Pelican says it like this he, from Yale. He says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. Why? Because he is who he says he is. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that there's no one higher than Jesus. And for more than 2,000 years, the world has been shaped by this life, unlike any other. People who believe and people who don't believe can't deny that this is the case. Because Jesus of Nazareth was and is God's chosen king for God's kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom that never ends and has no boundaries. So God's kingdom has always been around and it will always be around. 
It is eternal. And then because Jesus is such a big figure um, on on the world stage and for all time, we need to make sure that we understand which Jesus we're talking about. There were lots of Jesuses um, in Jesus' day. He just happened to be the one from Nazareth, the one that happened to be God's son. So in week three, we were reminded this is the particular Jesus, read it with me, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. It's like you've done that before, right? And why is this important? Because there's no place in heaven or on earth or under the earth where Jesus cannot find you and save you. He is that good. He is that powerful. And he is that loving. You see, this judgment that so many uh, try to get people to be afraid of, have you heard the phrase turn or burn? Right? I've seen it on bumper stickers. That's not the message of Jesus. It was kind of the message of John the Baptist, but it's not the message of Jesus. <laughs> the judgment is not about punishment, but justice, where things are made right, like to justify, right? When all wrongs will be righted. And then week four, read it with me. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, and what do we believe about the Spirit? That the Spirit empowers God's will through you. And you and I, the church, we were created and we are protected and we are powered by what? The Holy Spirit of God, right? And then week five, read it with me. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And what do we mean by this? The Holy Catholic Church is not the Roman Church, although the Roman Church is included. It means all churches that are made up of people from everywhere. And it's made up of not just includes, which is important. Because you could argue you might not be a church if you're not made up of different kinds of people. If everybody on your pew looks just like you, acts like you, votes like you, you're not a church. You're a political party. Get that straight. Seriously. You can't see the fullness of God if you're only looking at one piece of his body. Paul's very clear about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So you're like, well, I don't know if I could ever be a saint. Friends, saints are simply ordinary people who yield their lives to God. That's what makes you a saint is your openness to being used by God. Uh, like we, we talked about the chalice. The chalice is sacred, it's holy, because of its use. Not just because how it's made, or what somebody says about it. And then last week, uh, Pastor Brandon really helped us out with, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Say that with me. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, which also includes, friends, the practice of forgiveness of sins. It's not that you're saying, oh yeah, I think that's a good idea. I'm still considering it. Oh, by the way, Pouting is not a spiritual gift. You you should know. I know. It's very hard on us. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold the wrong another person has done against them. The Hebrew is to untie, to release, to let go. Doesn't mean they deserve it. It means you let let that go. Reverend Adam Hamilton in his book Creed um, says this, all of us need forgiveness. Amen? Amen. And God is willing, that's the good news, and we are accepting Christ's call to forgive others. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, all that's included. So we come to this week, I believe, read it with me, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Well, what does that mean? Um, I'll, I'll tell you in just a second, that's one thing, not two, by the way. Jose Gonzalez, the, the church historian uh, and scholar, says it like this. Socrates and Plato, 
It's where most Western ideas of heaven come from, by the way, not from the Bible. Socrates and Plato believe that the soul is immortal. You've heard that. And that therefore, when it is separated from the body, the latter dies, but the soul goes on living. Christian teaching differed from the common notion of the immortality of the soul on two main scores. Do we believe the soul is immortal? Yes, but it's not a standalone. It's created by God. There's a significant difference there in that nuance. He says, Christian insistence that eternal life is a gift of God. People who weren't Christians thought you became a person because a soul embodied you. Had nothing to do with God. So Christian insists that eternal life is a gift from God and that conviction that God's final purposes include the material as well as the spiritual. I'm going to give away the ending here. You may not know this. You are intended to reign with God, not just hang out with God. You've got a role to play in the salvation of all things. And your training starts now. A lot of people don't talk about any of that. But what you do with your body matters. What, how, how your body influences your soul and your spirit, that matters. All of it matters. And the doctrine of a final resurrection existed among the Pharisees long before the advent of Christianity. It's not unique to Christians. The Jewish Pharisees knew this ahead of time. And they would argue with it about the Sadducees. And that's how I remember it. Because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. That's why they're Sadducee. That's how you remember it, right? So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul argues forcefully in favor of the final resurrection. Well, yeah, he was a Pharisee, and he's met Jesus face to face, and against those who would deny it. So he writes, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, Uh, killed people, you know, is what that really means, Stephen in particular. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. See, we are Easter people, friends. It's all tied up in the resurrection. And he says so, like, if this isn't true, then we're wasting our time. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, even worse, because we testified of a God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. So he's saying the dead are raised. For if the dead are not raised, read it with me, then Christ has not been raised. Those go together. Our belief in the resurrection of the body proves Back in that Jesus is raised. It's all tied together, friends. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. Right? It's all all just for nothing. But if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. He says, but that's, that's not how it is, is it? No. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised. He has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, the Adam and Eve story in Genesis 3, so all will be made alive in Christ. And Jesus is often called the second Adam because he makes right everything that the first Adam messed up. So, I didn't know this until a couple weeks ago, but the original language in the creed, both in the Latin and the Greek, had one word, that meant both resuscitation and resurrection. So if you read that word, and I believe in the resurrection or resuscitation of the body, y'all try it, um, they didn't know which one it was. 
And so they needed to add the, everla- the life everlasting so that they knew which one they were talking about. Does that make sense to you? So it's not two things. It's this, and by the way, when we say this, we mean this. It's not resuscitation. Because people in that day, they thought Lazarus. They had seen it. But they also saw Lazarus die again. So that we're not talking about resuscitation where you die again. No, we're talking about resurrection where you live with God forever. There's a distinction. And so they were, that's why they added on life everlasting. Now, we believe in life after death. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he said that his followers will too. All of his followers. The disciples then and his disciples now. John says so. In, uh, John recounts this in John 14. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you, Jesus says. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Read it with me. Because I live, you also will live. I, I grew up uh, memorizing as a kid. Because I live, you will live also. And if you have been here celebrating the life of someone, you've heard me say this at every funeral. Because that is what our hope is in. The words of Jesus are true. And he proved it with his life. So, what do we believe? We believe Christ returns to us at our death. And will one day end the world as we know it by making all things right. Now, if you've had somebody die that's important to you, you know that when they died... Our world didn't all of a sudden become perfect. Their world did. But ours got worse. Because we're hurting on our side. So we always pray for, we celebrate what's happening with the person who's going to Jesus. And we mourn for those who are left to pick up the pieces. And if you're very old at all, you've done this. Most of you with me here in this very room or over in the chapel. It's both very difficult and hopeful. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, he says, Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, Jesus, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. That hasn't happened yet, clearly. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. So Jesus and the resurrection destroyed death itself. Not just his, but all of ours. So now we come to the part that gets really tricky. And that is, what does life everlasting look like? Well, depends on what you read. And for about a thousand years, um, the heaven and hell part kind of were looked pretty similarly. And then Dante came along and messed it all up. And so um, there's lots and lots of things around that now. Um, But for the first at least few hundred years, there was sort of... uh, Unanimity is not the right word, but people sort of understood things pretty much in the same way. Um, And don't let this graphic um, mess you up. Don't let it worry you about uh, your loved ones because they're fine. Um, But let me show you this. All graphics can only do what they can do. So we're all going to die. You all know that. Death rate in Edmund, 100%. Okay? Then... What the scripture teaches is that the righteous dead go to paradise. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? And this area here, Sheol or Hades, the Bible calls it, uh, is a place of rest. And down here, this is the spirit of the wicked dead, Tartarus or uh, Gehenna in the Bible as well. Now, you could argue that the difference between paradise and heaven is not much. 
You're, you're st- you still know Jesus. You're, you're not in pain. You're, you're good here, but there's more to the story. Down here, you're with like-minded folk. Again, nothing bad's happening to you. You're just hanging out here. Some people call this as a sleep. Others call it sleepful bliss. Um, others believe, and T. Wright will say, that we're, while our bodies are asleep, our conscience, our essence, is still alive with Christ or without Christ. But that's not the end of the story. There will be one day when you wake up, all of us will wake up, you and me, and those who have gone before us and those who will come after. Because, by the way, this is a big concept. Eternity means we all wake up at the same time. I mean, you can't, you can't get that through your head. But the, the thing is, if, if there, nobody is older or younger than anybody if eternity is eternity. Talk to your math people. All right. So let, when you go to sleep, do you know what's the first thing you do when you wake up? You look at the clock because you want to know how long have I been asleep because you don't know. So you're going to wake up and you're going to see Jesus face to face. And that's the best news of all because he's good and he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And Jesus is the judge. He alone chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. It's his. It's not ours. And it's certainly not your neighbor's. And it's not somebody on TV or on a website. It is God's alone. It is Jesus alone that tells what happens. He is the judge of the living and the dead and what happens next. And, and, and what happens next is important. You see, Jesus taught that there would be a final judgment, at which time in both the realms of the dead would be brought before the judgment seat of Christ, both the righteous dead and the wicked dead. And some would be granted eternal life in heaven, receiving a new resurrection body. And this is the new piece here. A lot of people think that it, that all kind of happens at once. And you may experience it that way, but the Bible didn't teach it the, that way. That we are going to get a new resurrection body when Jesus says so. And that's great news because that's that body that's going to rule and reign with God on earth forevermore. So while the others would be cast out into a realm of weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's, obviously that's hell on that side. I would remind you that C.S. Lewis, who I think is one of the brightest, uh, most gifted writers of you know, modern times, reminds us that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. It is our choice to stay away from Jesus, because that's what hell is. So, again, back to the Bible. But someone will ask, Paul says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. Say that with me. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. That's God's to do because God gets it right. And to each kind of seed, its own body. Anybody know what that is? Come on, we're in Oklahoma. Yeah, what's wheat? See, so if you've planted seeds before, you know what's coming up. So does God. Because he made all the seeds. And he sees the seed is in you. And you're going to be planted. And God knows exactly what's going to happen when you die. And he raises you up. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And, and so we, can, we want to be good seeds. And we want to practice about dying to self. And allowing ourselves to be buried. And trusting in a glorious resurrection where we can be useful. Not just for ourselves, But for the very salvation of the entire world. And, and so Paul goes on. He says, there are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. 
But the glory of the heavenly is one thing and that of the earthly is another. So it's even better than we can think or imagine, which is what he writes in Ephesians 3. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, Paul writes. What is sown is perishable, goes away. What is raised is imperishable. So when you get your new body, that one stays. So the early church believed in life after, life after death. I know that's a little confusing, but hang in there. So when you die, we believe in life and that you're with Jesus and that's good, but your body's dead. But then you're still alive. Who you are, your essence is still alive. But then when you see Jesus, you have life again after death, after life, after death. So it's good and good. Don't, don't be confused by this. It's not, oh, no. It's yay, yay. Yay, I get to be with Jesus. And yay, it gets even better because he's going to give me a better body so I can do what God intended the world to do all along. So N.T. Wright says, God intends in the end to put the whole creation to rights, all of it. Earth and heaven were made to overlap with one another completely, gloriously, and utterly. The great drama will end not with saved souls being snatched up into heaven. Uh, by the way, uh, the Left Behind series is fiction. Just need to tell you that. Away from the wicked earth and the mortal bodies which had dragged them down into sin. But with the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, so the dwelling of God is with humans. Again, God is coming to us, and that is good news. We're not having to try to get to him. God is coming to us. All of us are saved. Not by works, lest any of us should boast. So in Revelation... Uh, the writer says it like this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He's making things right, friends. And then read it with me. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne has said, say it with me, See, I am making all things new. Not just you, all of it. That is really what the Bible means about salvation. That all of it's saved. And we have a part to play in it, right now, and in the future, as did our forebears. So heaven is described in the Bible as the best wedding reception with friends and family and food and fun. And you're like, well, who says so? Jesus. This is Jesus' description of heaven. He tells a parable about the wedding banquet. Have you know, any of y'all been to a wedding lately, wedding banquet? Chantel and I are at the age where um, our son's friends are getting married. Ours are not, but they are. So... <laughs> So we get to go to lots of weddings, which we don't have to pay for. Hallelujah. So uh, the last wedding, one of the last weddings we went to is by a young man named Drew. And Drew, we saw him the very first day he was born. Uh, we knew the day, well, not the day, but we, we were at the announcement about him, uh, them being pregnant. He's the firstborn of the wealthy family. This is his uh, wife, Katie, a beautiful day. Uh, and as they started their ceremony, I, I, this is what Jesus says heaven is like. You know where people would normally have like flower girls? They had the flower grandmas. They were, I know, isn't that a good idea? So cool. Um, and they, they did it too, man. They were doing it. Um, it was, and they, they loved their corgi. They couldn't even keep the dog out. I mean, this, it was a wonderful day. And, and you know, the thing about weddings that I love is that you see people you haven't seen in years. And you hear people say things like, we should do this more often. How is it that we haven't seen each other? 
It shouldn't take something like this for us to get together. I sure do miss you. I sure do love you. And so friends would come around. That looks like a terrible time, doesn't it? That's what heaven is like. There's more than enough food for everybody. People are celebrating one another. People who have known you for your whole life see you, look at you, say, that is good. That is good. Man, that's good. And, and, they, and they have something for everyone in heaven, Scripture says. Even bounce houses for the kids if they need it. You've got to put those little ones somewhere or they'll eat your food. And there's lots of food. There's more than enough food. Before the wedding, you know, during the wedding, after the wedding, dessert. And then there are these precious moments that you, you don't even have words for. When your oldest child, who loves you deeply, is no longer yours in the same way. He's going to start his own family. And you feel your heart tear a little bit. Because a mother's always the son's first love. Right? Everybody had a mom. It's your first love. It's both beautiful and painful as that changes. But then, you know, he's, he's moving on to something good. Katie's awesome. You know, she's got lots of friends. And, and her dad's awesome, too. I and mean, that guy can dance. <laughs> he, he's, he's good. This is what heaven is like. And even your pastor and people will dance. I mean, this, this is um, sister-in-law, right? Just having a good time. You'll notice at this time of the wedding where the shoes are off. Right? You're, you're late enough in the night to do that. I keep mine on. But, um, you know, it's just wonderful. And there was so much food, and it was so much fun, and people were not worried about what other people thought, that Drew, um, as he went through the night, um, he was a boogie-dancing man. So much so that he split his pants. (laughs) He's a big boy. He has a black belt. Don't mess with him. Nor his pants. And so we ended the night with Drew in shorts. Is that what you got to do when you split your pants? Right? Now listen to the way that Jesus describes this. This is in Matthew. Jesus says, once more Jesus spoke to them in the parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet. A wedding banquet. For a son, he sent the slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Invited, but they wouldn't come. And again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. I've paid the caterer. I've got the food. Somebody better show up. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm. He's busy. Another to his business. Busy. Y'all been invited to weddings you didn't go to. You're too busy. Right? See, here's, here's the thing. Everyone is invited to the wedding banquet. How many is how many's invited, friends? Everyone, right? Both good and bad. Both good and bad. When you sent out your wedding invitations, did you have a check mark of, of whether they made the list based on their credits and their life? Uh-uh. But no one's required. You don't have to come. You don't. But look what God says. God said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy by their own choice. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite who? That's who God is. You find to the wedding banquet, everybody, invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. That's our job now, friends. That's what we do. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found. The scripture says, who did they find? 
both good and bad. That's who's invited. So the wedding hall was filled with guests because that's what God wants. He wants his table full. He's paid for the food. He's made the sacrifice. It's ready for you. You don't have to come. Because you may not want to sit by who you're sitting by. That's on you. God doesn't change that. This is why it matters. What you believe about your body and death directly affects the life before death. Changes how we live. Are you training for reigning? That's the question. Dallas Willard puts it like that. We are training for reigning. To reign with God. So our Christian hope includes the material, our bodies, and the earth, as well as the spiritual. We're not Platonists. It's not Socrates and Plato. It's not the body's bad and the spirit's good. That's not what we believe. God created the heavens and the earth, you and me, and he called it what? Good. Right? You know your Bible. The body as well as the soul. Right? So, Adam Hamilton quotes it like this. We will not be a disembodied spirit. We're not ghosts after death. Remember that, Halloween. We don't do that. But instead, we will have a glorious body that isn't subject to disease. No more aches and pains. If Jesus' appearances following his resurrection are any guide, we will be able to touch, feel, eat, drink, see, and be. Yet, our body will be different from anything we've experienced this side of eternity. A glorious body by which those who have known us in the past will know us in heaven. And I do think it's important that in the resurrection stories of Jesus, he still had scars in his hands and his side. He says, Thomas, feel this, right? It didn't hurt him. He ate fish. It didn't fall through him. He's not a ghost. Yet he could be wherever he wanted to be. He could be in Emmaus. He could be at Galilee. He could be Jerusalem like that if he wanted to be. Something new was going on. It blows our minds. We don't get it, but it's good news. And this is what I want you to know. It's a wedding banquet. It's fun. It's awesome. You're invited. And when it comes to your body, you don't have to worry about what you look like in heaven because your body's not evil, nor is it indispensable. It is a vital part of God's good creation, all of you. So it matters what you do with your eyes and your chest and your legs and your feet and, you know, be in good health. All that's important because we are followers of the Messiah. And you and I, we are to rule with God forever. Again, in Revelation, it says this, hold fast to what you have until I come to everyone who conquers and continues to do my works to the end. I will give authority over the nations. Did you know that about yourself? That's what's coming. And my hunch is a lot of us have no idea how to do that yet. Because we're supposed to rule like Jesus with forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion. And if we have zero practice doing it here, it's going to be really hard to catch up there. Right? We, we, we need to start practicing heaven. That's what church is. It's an outpost of heaven, a place where we practice. Again, Revelation says the saying is sure. If we have died with him, Jesus, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. There it is again. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, Jesus remains what? Faithful. He is that good. He's better than we are. For he cannot deny himself. He can't go against his character. So N.T. Wright says it like this. Salvation is not about individuals escaping earth and going to heaven. That's not our story. It is about God's intention to renew the earth and to involve us in this act of recreation. All of it. So yes, we will be with God. But we'll be doing what God wants because that's where heaven is. That's what heaven is. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because he was there. 
So wherever heaven is, is where what God wants done is done. And so what we believe affects how we live, doesn't it? How we die and how we grieve the loss of those we love. And as your pastor, I can tell you, it makes an incredible difference. I've been with some of you in this section. And it was one of some of the glorious moments of my life. Just the beauty of seeing heaven through his eyes. So beautiful. So beautiful. And I've been in other funerals where they didn't know what was going to happen and they were scared. And I felt terrible for them. I did my best to try to comfort them, but they, they just didn't know. I would say, do you, do you know that Jesus loves you? And they would just answer, I hope so. I hope so. There's a big difference in those two moments, friends. I don't want you to be in the hope so category. I want you to know Jesus' voice and his face so clearly. that you, you clearly hear him say, welcome, welcome. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died. So that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. That's our assurance. The Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Therefore, encourage one another. This is supposed to be good news, not bad news, friends. Encourage one another with these words. And you say, well, how do I do that? Friends, be ready yourself. To meet Jesus face to face because he loves you. By trusting him now with your past, which can be hard. With your present, which can be harder. And your future. All of it. Because we believe a God of eternity. Your past and your present and your future, they all affect one another. So invite the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. To come into your life every day to guide you. That's what the Spirit's for, to empower you and to work through you. And then finally, friends, live boldly. Live boldly for Christ. You have nothing to be afraid of because Christ is with us. Knowing that Jesus promised, read it with me, because I live, you will live also. You will live also. That's great news, friends. That's the creed, that God is with you, and you will live with him forever and reign with him until all things are made right to the glory of God. Amen? Um, I have a prayer that I'd like for us to uh, pray in closing this series, if you'll read it with me. Jesus Christ, our Lord, thank you for the life you came to give us, the death you suffered for us, and for the resurrection by which you conquered evil, hate, sin, and death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill and form me as a potter shapes the clay. Transform my heart and make me the person you intend me to be. Help me to love where there is hate. And to forgive where there is hurt. Thank you, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that I am, I offer to you. Help me live out the words of the creed each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.